What's good with everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. I'm pretty sure, y'all, this is episode 25. Y'all know me almost every week. I mess up the count, but it should be 25. And I'm joined today by a passionate Toronto Raptors fan. She works on a lot of content that's covering the team. Iman, feel free to introduce yourself to the people. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I um, cover the Raptors for um, predominantly Yahoo Sports Canada. Um, and uh, also started up a Substack this year uh, called Pros and Claws, where we'll be covering the NBA at large, but a specific focus on the Toronto Raptors. Cool. All of those links will be in the description, so make sure to tap in and support Iman in that. Also, make sure to tap into this episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also YouTube for the video version where you can see our lovely faces as we go through the Toronto Raptors. Now, Getting right into this conversation, I think should be pretty interesting. We're going to start in the 2022 offseason after the playoffs headed into 2023. Can you take me through your thoughts of the team for that current construction? Yeah, so heading in, so heading into 2023. Yes. Heading into last season. Honestly, vibes were pretty high. You're coming off of a rookie of the year campaign for a win for Scotty Barnes. And the team, I think, exceeded a lot of expectations. They finished fifth in the Eastern Conference after really starting off pretty slow. And you know, they lost in the first round, but um, it looked like a lopsided series, especially for the first half of it, but really wasn't throughout the second half. And I think there was a lot of things that Raptor fans looked at, and, and I know that the Raptors team looked at and saw that they could carry over into the following season. Even in that playoff series, you're dealing with Gary Trent, Scotty Barnes, and Fred Van Vliet all being hurt or sick. So they're really looking at, hey, we had you know three of our top six guys either hurt or sick throughout throughout that entire first round series, and it still goes down to six games with you know, sorry, traffic, um, with a. Um, with a real heartbreaker of a loss in game three. So you're really like, oh, could have definitely pushed that to game to, to game seven, you know, the game three loss that the Raptors had in the playoffs. At least they led for the entirety of the uh, of regulation and only <laughs> lost that lead in overtime with Joel Embiid hitting the most improbable shot of his career. And it was great to watch. Hey, superstars do what superstars do, right? Um, so yeah, so I think the vibes heading into the uh, 2023 season were incredibly high. You're looking at this team that is oddly built and shouldn't make sense on paper, but they made it work, especially towards the latter half of that season. And you're thinking, there's no reason that you can't carry that into 2023, only to find out there are tons of reasons why you couldn't just bottle that up and carry it into 2023. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the vibes in the offseason. I think that's a perfect way to you know, describe the team. I mean, Pascal took a, another leap. I feel like every year as an athlete, he just continues to get better and better. And specifically, Scotty Barnes had a very good season considering how many roles he had to play for the team. So his potential in terms of like becoming a good NBA star, a look there. Also during the offseason, you saw a, a bunch of videos from the entire Toronto Raptors team basically playing pickup basketball and just like working on things together. So coming in, I looked at this Raptors team and I said, they went that far with a team where they had many people in that series go down to injury with Joel Embiid. And again, I mean, that Joel Embiid shot, if he doesn't hit it, you're talking about another overtime period where things are going down for the team and you're questioning, can they take this game? So 
incredible playoff series considering those that shot i want to say that shot was the Crazy first shot. moment they led one of the craziest shots we'll ever see and you know maybe maybe philadelphia owes it to toronto to hit a crazy shot in the playoffs um it's only fair but uh it was the first lead that they took the entire game, and we're talking with yes. seconds to go in overtime. So, like, Raptors All fans balance leaning three. Away yeah. 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 I think for this Raptors team coming in, um, I had to basically predict where they would fall in the conference. I felt like the Raptors had the framework of a team that was a playoff team. I mean, so much length and size at every position. And I did believe in the coaching staff as well to be able to maximize these players. I looked at Scotty Barnes as a player that, again, played many different roles for this team. So I thought coming in, he would be more, you know, developed in terms of the point guard position and being able to do a lot of different things. From your perspective, where did you have the Raptors seeding-wise before the season began? I had them pretty high. Um, I, I honestly did. I, I thought the same thing with Scotty Barnes. What we, I, I knew that we were going to see him try his hand a little bit more at the point guard duty. So I, we knew that that was sort of the shift that the team wanted. I wasn't necessarily totally on board for that, but I still thought everything should be fine. You're having Pascal Siakam just having, uh, you know, career year after career year. Fred Van Vliet coming off of a career year as well. I didn't see any reason for the team to take a step back. It's not like they had anyone who was in their 30s that was due for regression. It's not like anyone played so incredibly outside of their head that you didn't think that they could replicate anything that they did the year prior. And so it's just like, okay, this is a young team that's growing and finding their identity. There's no reason why they shouldn't take a step forward again. Um, and so I thought top five is is nice. I was like, that's that's the baseline because there's no reason to look at this team and think that, you know, Scotty or Pascal or Fred or OG or anyone or Gary Trent Jr. would take a step back. It just looked like all of those guys were due for another step forward. And unfortunately, it didn't play out that way. Yeah. This is a team that for me, I had as a top six playoff lock. I felt as if coming in, they had the size, the tools, and again, the playoff experience of multiple veteran players on a roster to go far. And to the start of the season, I mean, the jump that we saw from Pascal Siakam, I mean, in those first 10 games, he was all all NBA lock. He looked like a top five player to me based on the way he started playing basketball, specifically the performance against the Nets. They lost that game, but... The effort you saw Pascal play in terms of the way he was controlling the pace. What did you think about Pascal's start to the season for the Raptors? It was it was incredible. He came in saying that he wanted to be a top five player, and he very much looked like that. He was doing absolutely everything on that court. The the Brooklyn game that you're talking about, he had like a what a 40-point triple-double, and then it was a back-to-back, -back, and in Miami, absolutely dominated a Heat team that sent absolutely everyone on their roster at him to try and stop him specifically it was like Pascal Siakam was taking the leap that um, pushed him from third team all NBA to solidifying himself in that second and first team and unfortunately in Dallas he goes down and um, things start to really unravel from that point for the Toronto Raptors like that is the turning point if you look at the first I think it was seven games of the season. Um, if you look at the first seven games of the season where he's healthy, and granted, seven games is such a small sample size, I, fair, but we're talking about a guy who was putting up 40-point triple-doubles and doing everything uh, across the board for this team that really does struggle in a lot of ways to create offense um, and doing it with absolutely no spacing. Although the Raptors were not that bad to start the year off. Start to really take a toll towards the bottom uh, uh 
starting from December. But so when when Pascal goes down, I, I think that's a major turning point in the season. So when we're looking at the season as a whole, I don't think you can ignore him going down against the Dallas Mavericks somewhere between seven to ten games uh, in in the early parts of the season with a groin injury, and then for the next ten games that he's out, the Raptors go five and five. So treading water they're treading water without their superstar there they're treading water and we're seeing again scotty barnes put on different hats we're also seeing gary Trent jr put on different hats but we're also starting to see some seams uh, come apart with the team we're hearing things like nick nurse wants to bench one of scotty barnes or gary Trent jr ends up benching both of them um we're, we're starting to see issues and also somewhere around there and it's not talked about enough it was the philadelphia 76ers game it's which was also, we're talking five, six games into the season, so very early on, Fred VanVleet has a back injury, and I think goes 0 for 11 in that game. And from yep. that game forward, he really struggled. He sat for the next three games um, after that point, came back, looked great for a couple of games, and then from that point forward, Fred VanVleet shot absolutely abandoned him. When we're talking about, you know, when we talk about the Raptors in 2022, a large part of why they were as successful as they were was Fred Van Vliet's shot. When you have a team that really struggles without having pull-up shooters, you need your guy, your main guy, your main um, you you know, point that. guard, need him to be able to do that. Now, Gary Trent Jr.'s pull-up shot also, uh, the efficiency went down incredibly on that. And so when both of your, your only two guys that can actually hit pull-up shots start to uh, see that decline, it's pretty bad. But for Fred Van Vliet, we're talking a 40% three-point shooter on 10 attempts a game in 2022 to going down to like 35%. That is significant for a guy who takes 10 threes a game and is your primary guy on ball, so he's taking a ton of those as pull-up looks. And two, he's also the team's, he was still the team's best catch-and-shoot guy, but not by as much as he was the year before. And so you're really starting to see the spacing for the team come down. And that started somewhere around that sixth game. Uh, he came back, he was down for three games, he came back, looked pretty good for the next three games, and then was rusty. Yeah. Honestly, for the entire season, you look at his three-point shooting numbers, they're not good, and you see it. And, and he didn't really have a chance to rehab that because yes, with Pascal gone and then you have, you know, OG and all these people missing time, Fred Van Lee is playing 40 minutes a night throughout all of that. There's really no time to rest and, and, um, and what am I talking rehab at all. So we just saw him really struggle and um, this team is bad if your point guard is bad because they already just can't run an offense. They were five and five without Pascal Siakam even playing. And it just speaks to like the heart and the will of that team. Because again, I'm telling you right now, I saw multiple members of that Raptors team playing pickup basketball during the summer in the Rico Hines runs. And you just saw like the passion and the determination of the team. So for them to go five and five without Pascal, it's not like the lack of team effort was there but things did fall apart during the season i want you to like tell me what you think your biggest estimation of why the locker room was what it was after these points um i, I think there's a couple of parts to that um and you're right this is a team that had the rico runs in the summer this is a team that came in with the second most continuity i think of any team that wasn't the miami heat from the year before so this is a team that like on paper you're like hey these are guys that play really hard to play a nick nurse style of defense you have to play really hard um and i think that that's the biggest thing that took a toll on this team where nick nurse was very rigid in the way that he coached this team he's known and, and i you know credit all credit to nick nurse he brought the city a championship and he did 
it by being this creative, out-of-the-box coach. At the same time, he's pretty rigid in the way that he goes about things. So a couple yep. of things is he does not like being... Here, here's uh, one of... Okay, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who's killing it in FIBA right now. <laughs> um, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Stanley Johnson join the Raptors the year after Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green leave. So you have Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, two obviously defensive stalwarts. They leave, and you're bringing in Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Stanley Johnson, who at this point are only in the league because of what they were doing defensively. So Stanley Johnson in particular. And um, Nick Nurse is like, yeah, they're not going to see any minutes on the court at all in the beginning because not up to par defensively. They're not playing championship level defense. And that was what he said. And so Stanley Johnson, who is known specifically for that, had to ride the bench until he was playing what Nick Nurse deemed to be um, a championship level defense. And so Nick right. Nurse is very... He, and, and all that to say, Nick Nurse is really hard on the type of players that he lets play. He's not going to let a lot of the young guys play. And that's been the biggest critique of him. He's not going to let a lot of them play. And he's also going to call them out in the media. Nick Nurse has no qualms about calling any player out in the media, letting you know, hey, Gary Trent Jr. is just not going to play because he's not been playing well. <laughs> that's just going to be it. He's coming off the bench for that in particular. And that to rub a lot of players the wrong way the players who were not getting minutes on the court seem to rub them the wrong way then you have three players going into contract seasons that are being asked to play 40 plus minutes a night because nick nurse doesn't want to play the majority of the roster and that took a toll on the players they fred van vliet we're talking about being injured og ananobi missed significant time being injured Otto Porter Jr. got injured and never suited up for the Raptors the rest of the season. And, like, I, I don't know anything, any details behind that, but I'd be hard-pressed to believe that he was happy with the amount of minutes Nick Nurse played him in the first three or four games before he had the injury. Um, so you have all of these players being like, hey, we're going into contract years. You're running us into the ground. And then you got guys on the bench being like, you're not playing us at all. Um, and, and I think that that caused a lot of issues. And the biggest one is, defensively, this is not a team that's just being asked to play 40 minutes, and that's that. It's like, oh, you know, that sucks, but, like, that's what guys were doing in, like, the 2000s. That's just sort of life. It's guys being asked to play 40 minutes and playing the most aggressive style of defense in the end. Very NBA. difficult defense, right. Absolutely. It is. It is defense without, so basically how the Raptors sort of play defense, it's the most aggressive style. That is what Nick Nurse does. And hey, he's had the personnel to do it, right? Like you you have Kawhi Leonard and you have Marcus Gasol. You have um, Kyle Lowry on that team and Danny Green on that team, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. You have all of these guys. And even still, this roster construction is really built with the idea of playing the most aggressive style of defense. That's why you have a bunch of power forwards that are just all length. The idea is, yeah, you don't have a center, but you have guys that can take away the middle and also rotate out to the perimeter and take that away as well and that requires a ton of effort and what we saw is Fred Van Vliet who could have been you know second defense all defensive team the year before in 2022 who was playing just phenomenal defense for the Toronto Raptors uh, I think Zach Lowe maybe had him on his uh second team last year uh not this past year but 2022 um, take a major step back. And I think part of that is the back injury. And part of that is the load that he had to take offensively. We saw Scotty do the same thing. And I, again, think that's part of Scotty. I know in his role, but as point of attack defenders, those two took a considerable step back. And if you have your two main point of attack defenders, take a step back and you don't have any interior presence, <laughs> like you're just going to get, 
you're gonna get just and and Pascal Siakam the load that he took on the offensive end meant he took a step back defensively and so you just have OG Ananobi <laughs> like Gary Trent Jr. um he was Gary Trent Jr. has this reputation of being a great defender and I think he he did well in in terms of like what Nick Nurse does well, one thing he does well is when he has specific personnel, he plays to their strengths, which is why when he has a team with a ton of length, this is the type of defense that he deploys. Uh, just to give him some credit, because I think uh, a lot of Raptors world does not do that right now, but I think he does sort of play to the strengths of his players. And with Gary Trent Jr., primary strength is great. Gary Trent Jr. is not gonna, you know, guard someone face up and do a good job of that, but he, can, he gambles a ton. And you can have him gamble a ton, when you've got Pascal Siakam and Noji and Anobi and Scotty Barnes and all that length right there behind you. You can allow him to do that stuff. And so we saw in when this team is all bought in and they're, they don't feel like they've been worn down by this defense and they're playing as a collective and they, you know, this hasn't sort of um, beaten them down quite yet, to, just to be completely honest. Trent Jr. is allowed to do that, and you've got guys to clean it up if things, if you know, mistakes are made because he gambled, and you know, you got, you need someone on the back line to clean that up. That was allowed. The year after, we saw less of it. We saw less of it from everybody. It wasn't the team playing cohesively defensively. They weren't playing a cohesive style of defense. And so, if you actually look at the numbers, I think it was it's from like around late November, like a month into the season is when their defense just took a complete and utter nosedive. And in December, they maybe, I think, had the 24th ranked defense. Yep. And it didn't it didn't rebound until, if you look at the game specifically, and there's a reason why, Christian Coloco was playing. That's where they had the best defensive rating. Christian Coloco is a rookie. Christian Coloco is a second-round pick rookie, but he's the only he was at least the only seven-footer on the team. Even Precious Achua, who plays you know a nominal five for the Raptors, they needed and they they still look better with Precious than they did without. Uh, I think the beating was too much on uh, Pascal Siakam and on Scotty Barnes to be playing the five defensively as often as they did, or on Ojananobi, who also is tasked with guarding the best perimeter player um, on the team there as well. So when they actually had a center, their defense and their defensive numbers are night and day. Different. I wish I can pull it up for you, but my computer is is low is lagging for me right now. Um, but it, it's it's night and day, and so it was very clear that they needed a center. That is what they needed this entire time. And as soon as they got Jakub Pertl, their full-time center, the numbers looked very similar to as they did with Christian Coloco because, hey, and Jakub is obviously a much better player than Christian Coloco, and they had a top five net rating for the starting five with Jakub Pertl in there because at the starting five, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, um, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and Jakub Pertl is a damn good starting five. It makes sense that they had a top five net rating in the entire league together, and it makes sense that a large part of that is off the backs of the defense. And so it just, you needed, and, and so I don't totally fault Nick Nurse for this. I think a large part of it is the roster that he had, and it was completely flawed, and the team just decided to take way too long to finally bring in Jakob Pertl. I love everything that you said because for me coming in, that was what made it hard because while I believed in this team, they didn't have that big. Like when this team won a, a championship, they had a dominant front court, but they also had POA guys both at the wings and at the point. I feel like going a entire season where, okay, Pascal is going to share minutes at the five 
and like not really have like that true big presence behind him i feel like that would be taxing especially considering everything these players have to do on the offensive side of the basketball as well and your point about nick nurse is so correct about the way that he runs these players down sometimes even last year when they made the playoffs the amount of minutes these guys are playing on a night-to-night basis it's not like they're just playing and they can like stand no they're being taxed like tremendously on the defensive end and they're playing 40 minutes a night every single night to play basketball and then sometimes if they voice this or whatever at least you know in my mind some of these players aren't getting consistent minutes as well it's like damn i can play 35 minutes and then not play like things change up but specifically this year getting yakup perto to me was another turning point for this team because once they got yakup you're absolutely right that defense perked up tremendously like right now adding him he added plus 4.2 uh, points per, per possession to the offensive end as well. It's not just the defense. Jakob, as an individual player on the team, just provided a tremendous uh, amount of value in terms of offensive rebounding and the screens that he could set as well. Like, it was a yeah. dramatic change for the team, for sure. Yeah. I, like I said, they had the t- they had the fifth best net rating in the league. If you're looking at their starting lineup with Jakob Pertl in there, and that's with guys like OG missing time. That's with guys like Fred VanVleet, you know, have dealing with injuries throughout, and Pascal Siakam. So even despite that, and Pascal Siakam, when Jakob Pertl came in, his numbers started to dip uh, considerably, and yeah. I think it was just trying to find what made sense for the team. And you do have to sort of figure that out offensive offensively, and and that's why they didn't end up playoff team. If you're looking at why, they made the Jakob Pertl trade way too late in the season. Um, something that people had been calling for for the start from the start of the season. Um, and they um, and also like it, because they made it so late, yes their defense was clicking, but they didn't find a way to really make that offense hum in the way where Pascal Siakam can also get his in the same and Scotty Barnes as well because Scotty Barnes if you're looking at his numbers and yes his efficiency for looking at part of the reason why the Raptors struggled in the second year is his numbers might look the same his numbers I think might even be identical but the efficiency across the board went down and where we really saw Scotty um, shine and, and where we really saw his strengths was when he was playing the five at least offensively right so when he was in the dunker spot when he was setting hard screens when he was finishing at the rim like there's there's just a Scotty Barnes that plays um, really strong and like he's the tallest biggest man on the court that is so incredibly dominant and it you take that away when you have an Ayaka Pertl so had they had more time to uh, figure out how to make everyone fit together, including Pascal Siakam, because again, Pascal, Scotty, Jakob, I know we're not talking about next season just yet, but that's three guys who can't shoot at all, right? So we're we're really struggling with the spacing there, and so you needed that from OG, and OG Ananobi towards the second half of the season, if we want to talk about the reason why the Raptors were as good as they were, is because he was absolutely lights out. And so, like, he made a lot of that work. But you mentioned it, the offense looked much different with Jakob Pertl because Fred Van Vliet, for all his faults as, um, you know, a guy who, who lost a lot of his shots, um, his pick-and-roll game with Jakob Pertl was superb. And yeah. that's a lot of the Raptors' offense. And here's the thing, Fred Van Vliet can't finish inside. Fred Van Vliet not, doesn't have any floater, doesn't really have anything... Like, inside the arc, it's just not there for Fred Van Vliet. He doesn't have that. It's all above. 
And here's the thing. He wasn't knocking them down at the same rate, but guys are coming out to him at the same rate because he's still a guy who's a career, what, exactly. 40% shooter. And so you just had something with Jakob Pertl that right now, unfortunately, I just don't see them really having because I don't think anyone trusts Dennis. Like, I don't think Dennis Schroeder, people are going under a ton, and this being, or they will go under a ton, and he's just not going right. to make them pay. Um, with Fred VanVleet, you couldn't really do that. And I think that that gave the Raptors the spacing that they needed. So we even saw, despite his shot not being there, just having the reputation of being a Fred VanVleet and being able to burn you because... It's huge. And so we really saw things come together. And it's, it's really frustrating. It's the most frustrating part of the Raptors season is in February, you saw the vision. You saw it come together. You're like, this makes sense. You have a center who is the back line of your defense, and you have a pick-and-roll partner for Fred VanVleet, because the Raptors are not a team that get offense very easily. We're talking about how much they have to move defensively. Part of that is because the bulk of their offense is either offensive rebounds, so they need a big guy, because it helps, um, and transition. So getting stops and running the other way. And so when their defense is not as good as it's been and their shots from it outside are not falling, it hurts the offense. And so finding just easy offense, having a pick and roll partner, having a big who's a roller really helps smooth things out. And so you got to see this traditionally built Raptors team look the way they could have looked all year and really saw how all of it made sense, which is why I was so optimistic heading into next season, and now I'm not because you don't have Fred VanVleet, who I think is so important to what this team does. When you have it centered like that, like you said, Jakob being able to screen and get offensive rebounds, it just adds a, a different dynamic to the team as a whole. And the level of defense, like, I have to highlight this too, OG Ananobi was in Defensive Player of the Year conversations before he got hurt. He was, because he was playing that level of pesky POA defense. The issue is they didn't have a strong back line behind him to keep that consistent for the entire year. And losing Van Fleet is tough, I would say overall for this team. It really makes me question what's the future of the franchise currently with like the planning of what the core is. Like um, a lot of people have talked about trading Pascal. Where are you with that? Where I am in terms of like the direction of the team. So personally, I think losing Fred Van Vliet matters a lot. And I think a lot of people who disagree with me, and it's fair, it's valid. I can see people's points. Um, look at Fred Van Vliet of last season. And I am looking at Fred Van Vliet of the season before. <laughs> like I'm like, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe other people are. We, we don't know what he's going to look like. But to me, the perfect player who can fit alongside this Raptors team is Fred Van Vliet from the 2021-2022 season. This is a guy who, as I mentioned, takes 10 threes a game and shoots 40%. And it's not like, oh, that's an outlier of a season. That's who Fred Van Vliet has been. I mean, he won the Raptors a championship because he shot like, the Milwaukee Bucks fans still have nightmares about how well Fred Van Vliet shot in that series. Um, so that's just who Fred Van Vliet is. He's a high volume, efficient three-point shooter and has been for his entirety of his career almost, except for maybe his rookie season um, and in the G League as well. So that's number one, um, is you're looking at the Fred Van Vliet of the year before. So this is a guy who can play off ball. Now that was an issue that the Raptors had at the beginning of the season was Fred Van Vliet didn't look very comfortable playing off ball. Um, and, and you just sort of needed to put the ball in his hands. And when he has a pick and roll partner in Jakob Pertl, it's just seamless to just let that happen. So he finally has a roller as a pick and roll partner. He um, can hopefully take his threes. And as I mentioned, he was one of the team's best vendors in yeah. 2021 you obviously have OG Ananobi but 
Fred Van Vliet was so incredibly elite, and I know people see his size, but again, the only way that the Raptors were able to have a starting lineup of both Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet together is because both of them are such tenacious defenders that you can have two guys that are six feet tall on a good day, but like, I don't know, five, ten, and five, eleven. If you games of this season, what he was doing defensively was just yeah, like you see phenomenal. It, it was and, great. And you can pick, you can pick, like, there's a number of games in the year before. He's just, he is that. I mean, he came, the reason why he made this Raptors team, and I'll, I'll, there's lots of reasons why, but like, his first preseason game that he ever played before he had an NBA contract, we're talking about an undrafted guy that had nothing, was locking Stephen Curry up. Like, Steph was just like, he's back in the game again. And that continued to the Raptors of winning a championship, right? Like, you can't play, a, you can't run a box and one if you here, here's what i'll say here's how good uh fred van vliet is defensively he started over danny green in the finals because nick nurse was just like gotta pull danny green and put in fred van vliet for his defense <laughs> like that is that is a, a major sort of testament to the kind of player fred van vliet can be um so to me it's just like losing him hurts here's the thing i don't think he's worth 40 million as much compliments no. as i'll give him he's not worth 40 million i'm gonna be honest anything over 30 million would have had me a little queasy anyway i thought the most the raptors could do was 33 and that was gonna make me feel really sick but i was like hey gotta do what you gotta do cap's going up let's go um but yeah once it gets to 40 uh, like i'm so happy for him we're talking about an undrafted guy making max money in the nba that is insane and so you know congrats to him and his family um not something that i would wanted the Raptors to do but also think don't think the Raptors planned for this so there's a lot of people who are like well what direction are the Raptors gonna go in and what are they looking to do and it's told us that the deadline they, they've been telling us this this entire time but at the deadline they did not make a trade for any of these guys and they said at the deadline their goal was to resign them they said at the end of the season goal is to resign them they right. said it every step of the way what their what their plan was to do and here's the thing it didn't come down to them it came down to Ime Udoka wanting Fred Van Vliet over James Harden and offering him the money they had saved for him right and so at that point it's not their decision to make but their goal was to bring everybody back and they were able to get back Gary Trent Jr uh who uh, we're talking about people having down years. This is a player who in December, if anybody said he was going to opt in, you would be called crazy and get laughed out of here. And he opted into his contract because of the down year that he had. And you also have uh, Jacoperto resigning. And so you see the Raptors bringing everybody back, um, but they don't have a guy like Fred Van Vliet. And that's not Dennis Schroeder, who's also eating up FIBA right now as well. He's a good player and I'm excited to bring him on board. But the things that Fred Van Vliet does well, that no other Raptor player does particularly well. The spacing, is man. going to be missed. It's it's predominantly the spacing. And it, like for the Raptors to have not had a pick and roll, to have not had a roller in forever, finally lose the, a pick and roll ball handler. Like, it's just like one goes, the other comes. Um, and, you know, I was looking at some of Dennis Schroeder's numbers. And uh, honestly, I think uh, Louis Zatzman had a piece on this, which was great. Um, I, I hope it was Louis Zatzman. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, but um, Dennis Schroeder's pick and roll numbers look I think what a lot of people are sort of focusing in on is when he played with entirely shooters on the Lakers team or even the German team, right? So we're looking at a completely different thing than what the Raptors can sort of put together for him. And I just don't know that I'm like gung-ho about it, but you know, you have a new coach in who wants to try a bunch of different offenses and um, we'll see what the Raptors do, but they lost quite a bit because 
They lost the sort of duo that you have with Yakupurdo that was so potent, and you lose the spacing that matters so much. Having guards matters, and the Raptors just lost their best their best one. I agree with you. Like, even though Van Fleet had a down year, the impact he had by simply being on the floor with or without the ball in his hands, teams still respected him. Because remember, a year before this, he was all-star and he was shooting like 43% and he was one of the best pull-up shooters in the NBA. And you finally get Jakob Pertl, who again, like to me, that's the dramatic turning point in the season when a lot of people did not have the Raptors even making the play-in. And, you know, yeah. getting him turned the entire year around and now you lose the one guy who provides so much spacing with him in that pick and roll combination, which is tough. But at the same time, I will say this, like losing Nick Nurse and getting another head coach now, like the vibe just feels different. What do you think your feelings are on this new head coach and how does he fit in with what the Raptors want to do? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. A lot of, so the thing about Nick Nurse is kind of quiet quit on this team or loudly quit on this team. <laughs> um, you know, there was a press conference that happened in Philadelphia, which I don't think is a coincidence. I mean, allegedly not a coincidence. Um, where he basically was just like, yeah, it's been 10 years that I've been here, you know, five years as an assistant, five years as a head coach, and 10 years is a good time to sort of look back and everyone, and allegedly people on the team were just like and they end up losing that game in a blowout and it felt like oh yeah your coach is quitting on you the players registering it and it's all bad here and it just felt like the vibes could not be lower after that game um it could you can miss 18 free throws in a play-in game um, so they could always get lower um but yeah so i just think that like i think that nick nurse had a lot of people start to too like it just i think a lot of what nick nurse did grates on people after a while i think he's a great head coach i'm i think it's a good acquisition for the philadelphia 76ers i'm excited to see what he can do he's been the guy that's had the best um luck the best results against joel Embiid, and now he gets to coach joel Embiid, which is exciting right. um you know he held joel Embiid to zero points in a game like he's the only person you could say yeah. <laughs> Neither will I. Neither will I. Joel Embiid averages the least amount of points against the Toronto Raptors, specifically because of what Nick Nurse can do. And this is even post Marcus Gasol. Uh, you had Aaron Baines shutting down Nick Nurse right before Aaron Baines left the league. So uh, Nick Nurse has had, you know, he's he's a great coach for a lot of reasons. He's incredibly creative in what he does. But again, it just felt like, and we talked about it, whether it be the minutes, whether it be calling players out to the media, whether it be kind of quitting on your team in the city that you're now working for, um, whether it be any of those things it just felt like the vibes could not have been lower there was for a team that's really prided itself on culture and um stability and continuity even like Dwayne Casey for example was not Nick was not Masai Ujiri's hire he wasn't Masai Ujiri's guy but Masai Ujiri let him stay here until it was a breaking point until it was like okay you cannot get swept as the higher seed three times out of four years like it took doing that and this is not his hire, but he just prides himself so much on having that continuity and having that stability in a structure, you know, that um, 
it let he let it go that long with Dwayne right. Casey and Nick Nurse could not last that long and Nick Nurse is his hire and Nick Nurse is a guy who he sort of envisioned this team he built this team with like you know it, it seemed very collaborative with the type of guys that Nick Nurse likes to play and the type of guys that Messiah Jerry likes to draft it felt like there was cohesion in that front office um and coaching staff and there clearly wasn't and I think that um it was just time to part and the vibes could not have been worse where you're just having every conversation in the offseason being about a culture change and a culture reset for a team that's prided itself on having championship culture and and winning you know they that after the championship season they won more games than the year before they had the second yeah. best record in the league outside of the milwaukee bucks and we're looking really really great and looking like things could really happen for them until the you know bubble happened and I think the bubble impacted the Raptors more than it impacted any other team because a lot of our international players could not go to America and had to stay in Canada where we had the toughest restrictions. Pascal Siakam didn't touch a basketball for four months. Neither they couldn't did. leave anywhere, right? Neither they, they couldn't leave their apartment. They could not go to the gym in the Raptors training facility. They yeah. could not go to the gym in their condos that they all live in. They had to be confined to, you know, whatever thousand square feet that they have in their condos. Um, and could not do anything. Can't dribble a basketball because there are people who live underneath you. So we had Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam. All these guys really complained about the fact that they just could not do anything throughout that. And then the bubble comes around and Pascal's obviously injured. And things really falter and you lose in Game 7 to the Boston Celtics. But I think that Raptors team really too, did man. believe. Ugh, I hated it. Um, just because, you know, Kyle Lowry got ejected in the final seconds. And um <laughs> Complimented by Van Vliet quite a bit, but my goodness. But that OG shot, <laughs> though, have... that OG shot was ooh, crazy. Ooh, beautiful, crazy beautiful, shot. beautiful. But it goes down to game seven. It goes down to the final possession of game seven, and your best player and point guard is is on the bench because he just got ejected off of, you know, uh, some some bogus calls late in, late in the fourth. But um, uh, maybe I'm biased. But uh, yeah, so I think the Raptors really looked at that and said, hey, a lot of people counted us out with Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green leaving, but... We are, like, if you look at, you know, our advanced staff, if you're looking at the record, if you're looking at what we've been doing, it's actually been pretty good. And it's only until Pascal Siakam goes down with a groin injury that things really start to falter. And so they really believed in this championship DNA that they had. Um, but um, they lost that, clearly. You have everyone from the team except for Pascal Siakam gone. Um, OG Ananobi, of course, is on the team, but he was not a part of the playoff run um, because of an appendicitis. So everyone is gone, including your coach. And so the Raptors are really looking to for a culture reset and for a change. And I'm all for it because I, th I think it's necessary. And, you know, if Nick Nurse is the one thing sort of holding you back and tying you to that, it's fine to sort of cut your ties there, let him move on. He wants to be on a team that wants to contend and he's not going to play any of your young guys. And if you're really starting that new phase, you need to be able to play those guys. And that's not something that he's um, been willing to do. And so now you have a new guy come in who is also creative and also outside of the box and um, also didn't have a traditional route towards the NBA. And, and it's just, it seems to be more positive, but also who am I uh, to say that? Cause last year I thought the vibes are positive when the whole team was doing Rico runs. <laughs> yeah, I'm not mad at you at all, though, because, again, like, I felt that Nick Nurse was starting to weigh on the team a lot more because, again, like, the minutes and also the interviews that I would watch where he's just outwardly saying the truth. Like, all, like, I'm sorry, most coaches in the NBA will not be, like, you know, 
up front. He'll literally tell you why this player is not playing, how bad he's been. Like, he will say that. And I think that both of those things weigh on you, especially after, like, the COVID season and all this other stuff. Like, that stuff does pile up on the team. So I feel like... These guys getting... were in contract years. Sorry to interrupt, but these guys were in yeah. contract years. Contract years where their future in the NBA can be impacted severely by the roles they're playing for Nick Nurse. So it makes sense why a lot of the team was kind of upset and he was losing that locker room. So I do feel like by losing him, you are at least saying, okay, new direction, new voice, let's reset our culture, let's do things in a different way. And maybe that changes a lot of things for this team moving forward because continuity matters, right? Like we just saw Denver win their title after years and years of just saying, nope, same coach, we're going to build this up and find ways to change. So pivoting now for the Raptors, in my opinion, makes a lot, a lot of sense. My just processing on what this Raptors team exactly can be is at the very least, you lose Van Fleet, but they did draft a guy who's known for shooting. Grady Dick, I mean, while obviously he's not going to be as prolific as a ball handler at least day one you're getting spacing to somewhat fit from day one what are your thoughts on the draft picks this year for the raptors yeah i mean i i love it i i, got, I was excited about getting grady dick here um i i honestly would have been open to anybody it's just he's been a lot of fun and really embraced the city which i think people really love right away um but yeah you you needed spacing so getting in grady dick and then you also have marquis noel who kind of sort of fits in here for van vliet mold in that he is this undersized undrafted guy coming in but he's you know it, there's there's all this talk about him sort of fitting into the five van vliet mold i want to say five van vliet six feet tall He's Noel's 5'8". There's still a significant difference um, in terms of size there as well. But um, you have guys that are really sort of buying into this culture and are, are, are really sort of can't like this sounds so so ridiculous because it's like okay we're talking about basketball what do vibes have to do with anything but when you have this gray cloud over your team and it seems like it no matters. one wants to be here no one is happy with each other no like all of that stuff is weighing on everybody all season long you hear reports about arguments and fights and this and that and you know one side is this and there's another there's like two sides there's the vets and the young guys and they don't seem to get along and then you have the coaching staff exacerbating it that's not how you pronounce that word um but you just have um it's just like it it just felt awful and you just have these young kids come in that are excited about it and everyone's excited for them and it just it changes things but also having his spacing matters like having auto quarterback hopefully for this season as he opted into his contract so he's back in hopefully that spacing um helps things hopefully the dennis schroeder acquisition in the offseason helps things as well and so you're you're hoping that a lot of these guys can come in i don't know that like they can replace a one for Van Vliet, but hopefully with just sort of mixing in and getting everybody to work, you don't really miss it. And also, who's to say that Fred Van Vliet is 2021 self and not the 2022 self? Who knows? Yeah, I think that for this team, again, like this is more so a season where they're just trying to like change things around, get a brand new voice in, work his system. Players can get, you know, acclimated to a new way of doing things. And I still think that Grady Dick still fits into we're going to have size and, and length at every position because the Raptors team in terms of how they develop players and get guys to buy in for years and years, they've been at the top of the league in doing that. So 
imagining like him sure he's known for shooting but with his length and his size there's other things he can do to impact you know winning on the basketball court this to me is a year of figuring those things out and having a bunch of success but for you as a person that you know watches all the games and you really cover the team on a day-to-day what are your expectations for 2024 yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I think to, to what you said, in terms of a, a team that develops their young guys, that's something that the Raptors have not done the last few years, right? And it, they, they've had higher picks, so there's no reason why they wouldn't have, you know, uh, Fred VanVleet undrafted. We talked about it a ton. Pascal Siakam, 27th pick. OG Ananobi, 23rd, I believe. Like, a lot of the guys that they have developed, whether through the G League, Norman Powell, second-round pick, um, or through, you know, OG Ananobi didn't go to the G League as the one sort of standout from there. Um, happened with Jamal Malayla. And as a Warriors fan, you're familiar with him. Like, he joined the Warriors crew because, hey, you needed the young guys developed. You you had, you know, at the time, Wiseman, but also Kaminga and Moody, and you need these guys developed. And so he went over there because the Warriors were prioritizing that, and he's finally back with the Raptors. And I've never seen people celebrate an assistant coach this much. Like, I've never <laughs> seen a, an entire fan base get excited at an assistant coach coming back. But it, I think it just sort of... Um, showed a prioritization of young guys and development again which is something that had been the raptors calling card and just wasn't in the last few years you know you didn't see that with delano banton you didn't see that with justin champagne or any of the young guys um malachi flynn you didn't see that with any of the young guys on the team in recent years and that's something that the raptors have just ignored and so having um uh Malayla come back I think really sort of signals that and to your point about like is this season just seeing what you have I think a lot of what this season is depends on where Scotty Barnes is in his growth and his trajectory year three is a big year for a lot of these guys year three is you know year three is Pascal Siakam being most improved player year three is Pascal Siakam going from being a bench guy to being the second leading scorer on a championship team right I'm not saying that he's going to make that kind of a leap uh he also was not as you know he's much better than Pascal Siakam was in year two um but year three matters a lot and I think if this Raptors team I, th- I think they have really high beliefs and high hopes in Scotty Barnes and um a lot of what we'll see with it does Pascal say do you trade Pascal what do you do with OG what's the timeline of this team He's a lot of that Scotty Barnes right depends on what Scotty Barnes is because if Scotty Barnes is him right now Scotty Barnes takes a year three leap like a lot of the stars do in the league right um why wouldn't you want to pair him with Pascal? Like, why, why wouldn't you want to pair him with as much talent as you can have right now? And if he doesn't, then, like, do you give up on Pascal Siakam this early? Or do you try to, like, do you say, hey, I, maybe we build around Pascal and maybe we continue to do, like, there's so many different ways that this team can look. But I think a large part of it last year, I would have said, Scotty Barnes growth, cherry on top. We know that this team could be good without him because you have Fred, you have OG, you have Pascal. Um, it looked like Scotty Barnes was the cherry on top, and this year Scotty Barnes is the main course. Depends on his growth, and that will tell you what uh, to make of OG Ananobi and what to make of Pascal Siakam and Yaka Pertle and everybody else. But this team also doesn't have their pick next year. They don't have their pick unless it's you know falls in the top six. Um, so they're going to try to win because they have no incentive to lose unless they're you know the worst team ever. And then still, you can be Detroit, the worst team ever, and land with a fifth pick, which is a little too close for yeah. comfort, right? So I do think that like the Raptors' plan is to win next season. They said that. 
Um, but how much really depends on the growth of Scotty Barnes. And I will say, know that the front office really does believe in him taking that next step and making that leap. It just depends on how much that is and what that looks like and um, how the other guys sort of fit around that. If you can make a Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam team work, and I think there are ways you can. A lot of it is sort of, like, you don't have to totally stagger them, but if you have, like, you tie Gary Trent Jr. to Pascal Siakam because Gary Trent Jr.'s numbers with Pascal are superb and without Pascal are... Uh, not good. Um, and then you have Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi, who I think Gary, uh, Scotty Barnes, the majority of assists go to an OG Ananobi. If you can sort of pair them together so you always have shooting and you always have playmaking together, and then you can fit in whatever else around it, you kind of have the nucleus to what a good 44, 48 minutes can look like. I do think a lot of what this Raptors team looks like next year really entirely depends on Scotty Barnes and whether people believe he'll make that jump or he won't. Um, and, and that sort of shakes out how, how this team looks. I like your points, man. Um, for me, Scotty Barnes, like his growth this year, I, I agree with you. It's very important because if he's good, if he takes that year, year three leap, which again, we've seen many stars in year three do it. And not to say that if he doesn't, he still can be good because I have like a yeah. five-year thing. Like, like players sometimes are late bloomers, so cool. But if he's able to take that year three leap, what we're talking about with the Raptors significantly changes because the number one uh, name outside him that comes to mind for me is Pascal Siakam. Because last year, after seeing what he did, had he not got hurt, he would have been like a high-tier all-NBA caliber player in, in my eyes. That also spells trouble for the Raptors from this perspective. Because if he makes All-NBA, now the extension where he's making the Supermax, where he's making a ton of money, now the team has to make a significant decision between do we give him the money, do we let him walk, do we trade him? And a lot of that, as you said, really hangs on is this team going to be a good team? Are we going to make the playoffs? If they're that caliber of team, I'm confident Pascal will be playing at a high level, and I'm confident that Scotty Barnes will also be doing the same. So it's going to be a very interesting season for sure, Ima. Oh, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I will say they, they brought in Pascal's best friend in Jakob Pertl, right? Like, that's a guy that Pascal has been clamoring to get back on this team. That Love is his that best dude. friend in the league. Right, they're, they're the duos that had to split up because, you know, team had to win a championship with Kawhi Leonard. Thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for helping us with that, Jakob Pertl. But, um, yeah, so I, I think that the team sort of makes that decision and makes that move and tries to sign him long-term because they want to make Pascal happy. And I, I think they recognize that, like, yeah, there's always a Jalen Brown threat where he makes All-NBA, and now you're stuck having to to pay him i will say i believe those conversations are already being had right now i know the raptors are like hey gotta be good <laughs> like like i i wonder if like he makes like um if he makes third team if they still give it to him or if like you have to prove it and they know he's ready to like he's ready and um he can leave at any point if they don't give it to him if he does sort of make a third team but i feel like the raptors are going to be like prove that you can prove that the first seven games of the season or the first 10 games of the season last year isn't just a small sample prove that you can do this on a nightly basis and so pascal has a lot to prove as well um but scotty barnes is the real main focal point and i think your point 100%. exactly if he doesn't if he doesn't do it in year three doesn't mean that he won't ever do it it just means that he didn't do it in year three which is like okay he's still a young guy he's what 21 22 years old like he still has additional years of growth i think we can have this conversation in year four year five like where we are talking when his rookie contract is over and we're talking about what that next contract looks like then we can sort of assess where he's at but still in year three i think that like 
But another thing that I think is so important about having this Scotty Barnes conversation is there's so much talk last year about will the Raptors trade Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant. And I want to be clear, would have never just been Kevin Durant. They wanted Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi, so now you uh, a team more that than has just him straight up, right? <laughs> because you need the you need the money to work, and so it would have been OG Ananobi and Gary Trent Jr. So now a team that has what six roster guys are going to trade three of them for one guy. I don't think that like that was ever really in the cards for the Raptors, but still, Scotty Barnes was the focal point of that trade. And this year, you've had people being like, "Hey, could you trade Scotty Barnes for Damian Lillard?" I don't know if those conversations have happened or if there's any sort of you know legs to that rumor. But next year, if he does not take the leap, I don't think you're going to hear Scotty Barnes's name being the focal point of, uh, of a superstar trade. I, like, I don't think that that happens in year three for guys if they've not taken that kind of a leap. And if he has taken that leap, why would the Raptors trade him, right? So you're, you're kind of in that sort of situation, unless it's for Kevin Durant, who's, you know, uh, he'll be like 38 then, no. Um, but um, so, so I do think that, like, the conversation here about Scotty Barnes matters so much because even if you're looking at, well, if, Pas if Pascal is all NBA, could you put that superstar next to him? Well, Scotty Barnes no longer becomes that enticing trade chip to a bunch of other teams if in year three he has not made that growth because, hey, a couple a year after that contract, that second contract's coming up, and if teams don't feel like, you know, they have that with him, so it changes. But I, I think the Raptors are really high on Scotty Barnes, um, so I'm really excited to see what he can do and what he can be this year, and I think that changes the conversation on Pascal and Another guy we haven't really mentioned, OG Ananobi, who's also an unrestricted free agent, and we've heard a lot of rumors at the very least that he wants a bigger role, uh, especially on the offensive end for a guy who does everything for this team defensively. I think we'll see a lot of that this year, um, just because you're, you're a guy that has the second highest usage on the team is gone. But um, yeah, that's just that's another sort of chip because it's like, does OG want to play alongside him if this team doesn't look to be going and taking that next step because OG is what, going to be 20, he just turned 26, so he's also entering that sort of prime stage of his career, so he may want to move if it doesn't look like the Raptors are actually advancing forward. So they really risk losing absolutely everyone for nothing. It's crazy thinking about it because it's like there, there are so many good players on the Raptors that like the future of the NBA can be impacted if Pascal says, I'm not going to resign, I go here or there. Or if they just stay together, get good, and just, you know, contribute more and more as the years go. Like, Raptors basketball next year is going to be very intriguing. I promise you, Iman, I will be watching a lot more Raptors games this year. This project I've been doing where, like, I'm basically going through all 30 teams was really to check, okay, how much do I know about each team? Where are they? How have they been? And what is coming next? And I learned a lot from this conversation with you on the Raptors. I have a lot of things that I'm writing down. I'm going to be penciling in Scotty Barnes' pull-up shooting, his perimeter defense this year. Like, all of these things fascinate me. Because, again, like you said, it impacts so much for the Raptors if Scotty Barnes is that player. Because at that size, if he can truly develop those point guard skills confidently, you're talking about length and size at every position, which how did the Raptors win a championship? In some capacity, they had length and size at every position. Even at guard, they still had guys who could contribute positively to the defensive end. So size yeah. and skill for the Raptors is the future. Yeah, exactly. No, you're entirely right. You're entirely right. I mean, we had Kyle Lowry guarding J.J. Redick. Like, and that's just, I'm thinking of the Sixers series because we were just talking about them. So 
not size, you have a size disadvantage there, but you had a size advantage there in the way that like uh, JJ Reddick couldn't move him. Um, so it uh, size size in other ways, let's say. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think I think this is, I think that's a really cool project. Uh, I love the idea of going back and looking at teams and seeing where they are. And I will say, don't marry yourself to the idea of watching a lot of Raptor games. There are very many ways I think that this could uh, crash and burn. I think that there are lots of different ways that that can happen. So yeah, I, I just, I'm interested in seeing where this team is because everyone's wondering their trajectory or where they go and I don't think they know. Yeah, that's something that is 100% up in the air. I would at the very least have a spreadsheet for all 30 teams where I'm going to track how many games I watch. I can guarantee this. At the very least, I'm watching 25 games. At the very least. Do you hate like your like I do it because I do hate myself and I subject <laughs> myself to Raptor games. Like I don't. Here's the thing. It could be very special. It could it could really be. Hopefully, you know, OG Ananobi takes that next step and Gary Trent Jr. Who hey, Gary Trent Jr. had to opt into his contract because he didn't have it the year he wanted for him. Right. It, it wasn't out there for him. That that next contract was not out there for him. And I think a large part of that is Gary Chen Jr. has very many major holes in his game that he, he you know, pull-up shooting, we know that he can do. Catch and shoot guy, we know that he can do. But what can you do when that shot is not falling? And towards the end of the season, we saw that shot not falling. And Gary Chen Jr., really have anything else in his arsenal he's not a particularly good playmaker he's not a particularly good finisher he's not a good cutter he doesn't do any of the other things that maybe you want your guard to be able to do not a good uh, defender at all i was going to say point of attack defender but like mm. um he he's just there there are a lot of holes in his game and i think this season i, I really do believe that we're going to see gary trent jr because he recognizes it I, I don't think he would have opted into his contract if there was something out there for him, and there no. wasn't, and there was supposed to be an extension for him. There were all these reports about an extension for him. It has not happened yet. Um, and so, and you know, the Raptors don't tend to overpay in extensions. Um, that's not something they do, which is why they've let a lot of their guys uh, go in free agency for nothing. Um, so, yeah, so I think there's a lot riding on a lot of the players. Gary Trent Jr. will be an, uh, an unrestricted free agent. So will Pascal. So will OG. And we're going into next season again with three guys, three of the main guys um, who just walk for nothing. So, And like you said, like, like value players in, in the NBA, the guys that get paid, are guys that no matter what they can go two for 15 or whatever they find a way to impact the game sometimes sometimes without the basketball sometimes with it regardless of what they're shooting on a night's night basis can i rely on you can i depend on you and again like going back if scotty barnes takes that leap that is the type of player that can have a floor like that where sure yeah. He might not be the best guy from three or from long two, but he can impact the game in multiple other facets. In his rookie year, we saw how he could impact yeah. that. We saw the versatility that he provides you. And versatility is the key to not just players getting paid, but to teams having success. That's why the Raptors, in my mind, have the confidence in these players because they feel like the skills are there. They just have to figure out the system around them to maximize those skills, which they've done before in the past. So, yes, I... Do I hate myself? Maybe. Um, I watch a lot of basketball, so I try to like make. Yeah, but they're for... just better teams. They're fun teams. Like, here's the thing. I think they're the all fun teams. Fun. This year, I'll, yeah. I'll be, yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be positive on the Raptors. I'm here to talk Raptors. Let's let me let me. <laughs> yeah, Raptors are gonna be great. Watch them because they're so fun, and yeah, they'll be <laughs> awesome. There are a lot of fun teams. I just feel like. This project is, is is inspiring me to take a deeper look at the teams that Can no I one ask talks you? about. Sure. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. 
what is outside of the Warriors? What are what is a high end for a team that you're watching a ton of games for, and what's a low end for a team that you're watching a ton of games for? Like, what's a number? Okay, uh, outside of the Warriors, I would say my most watched team is probably uh, this is gonna be sorry, this is gonna be hilarious. Uh, probably the Celtics. I watch a lot of Celtics yeah. games. The high end for that team is probably you project like, to next season. Like you expect to watch a lot of Celtics team. Oh, next for season? next season, no, no, no. Next season is probably gonna be OKC. I, I think I'm gonna watch a lot of okc games check i woke up at 5 45 a.m to watch <laughs> gilgis alexander she gorgeous alexander uh lou dork could not play today but it was great he's great like i love how shay plays I, I like chet that team is another undersized team that had no real big but had a top 10 defense they're young they're coming up like i like the potential for that team so that yeah. is going to be a team Another team that's underrated that I'm going to watch that will probably be terrible, like really bad, the Washington Wizards. Uh, Poole oh got God, I was like, I hope. I was like, I hope he doesn't say the Wizards. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, I hate myself, but listen, okay? This is I'm gonna, therapy. Listen, therapy. I'm going to sell you on the Wizards, okay? They just okay. drafted Bailao. Kulibali, like he's he's taller. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm I wanted Bilal Kulibali to be a Raptor, so I'm kind okay. of hating on them a little bit for that. They also have way too many point guards. Give me somebody. They like, have a lot of point give, guards. Yes. Give me back to Lon right. Give me like give right. me Tyus Jones. Give me give me one of the three. Um, and so yeah, so I'm I'm hating on them a little bit because they're they're sort of all of the backup point guards that could be a starting point guard. No, listen, team. I get it because their franchise is giving you a lot of reason to hate. Like, you choose to give Bradley Bill a $250 million contract with a no-trade clause, and you don't trade him the year before Victor Wimbiano, who's a generational prospect, is being drafted. Like, it's it's been bad management, but we traded Jordan Poole there. I hated to let Poole go. I got to see it through. I got to see, like, how he progresses. I'm not giving up on him. Was he bad in the playoffs? Absolutely. But he had a bad year. He's also shown a lot of great value on this Warriors team when Steph was not playing for two seasons now. So I'm rooting for him. I will be watching at least, I can't say 25, at least 15. At least 15 for the okay. Wizards. Because I know okay. what I'm signing up for with the Wizards. Okay, so 25 for the Raptors is on the high end then. So you like Probably. were deciding that you hate yourself. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well. yeah. I've made that executive decision that I do hate myself. <laughs> who's but I who's love the it. lowest? Just to just to upset a fan base. Who's on the low end? To upset a fan base. Okay. I'm not gonna lie to you, the Hornets are gonna be a hard watch <laughs> for me. Um I don't think Hornets fans are watching the Hornets. That's fine. I like LaMelo Ball a lot. <laughs> it's just a rough roster in terms of like the the team, the coach is kind of mid. Like I I just don't feel like watching a whole lot of their games. I don't really see that much excitement from them, but I'll watch a couple. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Fair. I, yeah, I, I'll watch a couple. They play the Raptors four times a year. I'll see those. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, big shout out to Iman for agreeing to do this podcast with me. Great conversations overall. Again, she's a writer for Yahoo. All of her links and all that will be in the description and comment section below. Iman, do you have anything you got going on that you want to promote yes um please check out dishes and dimes we're coming out with a very special episode with a special uh guest and check out pros and cause pros and claws geez louise uh where i'll be posting a lot of raptors and just general nba stuff from teams that i'm watching probably not a lot of wizards and hornets content let me be for real unless it's about tyus jones delon Wright, or monty morris um and um 
uh, yeah, that, that's uh, everything for me. Bet. Well, all of those links will be in the description below. If you made it this far, shout out to you. We are an hour and five minutes into the recording. All but right. this is the Gift Hoops podcast, and we are currently breaking down all 30 teams in the NBA. Um, this podcast will continue on into the season as well. I wanted to do this project to give myself more consistency, to basically build more community, talk to more people, seeing how Raptors fans and Wizards fans feeling uh, about the season it starts so again big shout out to you for joining on this episode make sure to like comment and subscribe on the youtube side of things and five star this podcast on apple Podcasts and spotify we are building up consistency where there's literally no basketball outside of w uh nba basketball and also fiba world cup so tap in we'll catch you guys on the next episode of get the hoops podcast peace out people